He's amused Cam Newton. He's been insulted by Charles Barkley. When some idiot in the press asked him, if you know what you know now, would you have scheduled this game? He's interviewed Matthew McConaughey. I do say go Tarion. And he's taken on Big Blue Nation. As he, he's just completely taken the wind out of my sails. <laughs> it's time for The Drive with Josh Graham. Welcome to a Monday Drive where I've been asking myself all day, how is it already August? But it all kind of hit me. Football's pretty much here. High school games, a few weeks away. The Hall of Fame game this week. Wake football open preseason practice today, by the way. Deeks AD John Curry going to be here at 3.30, so make sure you're around for that. And this morning in Spartanburg, training camp really started for the Carolina Panthers. Yes, they reported last week. They even had a few practices. But without pads, it really isn't football. Today was the first padded practice. The pressures without pads. The pressures don't really feel as real. The speed and the intensity aren't quite the same either because there's a reason you need the pads. Football's a violent game. Without the threat of the violence, you don't play the same kind of way. That's why you hear players get really excited. I can't wait to hear that sound. I can't wait to hear the sound of the pads clanging together. I don't care what level of football you're talking about. From peewee. All the way up, the sounds of the pa- of the pads clanging together, hitting each other. That's here. It's arrived. We've hit August, and the reps really start to count now. Darnold, he worked with the ones today. Baker Mayfield with the twos. Matt Rule said said that they're going to flip tomorrow, then mix on Wednesday, as snaps appear to be at about 50-50 between those two. Brady Christensen started at left tackle. The number six overall pick, the first offensive player taken off the board in this draft. Iki Aquanu out of state was with the second group. Some believe there is a chance if Brady continues to play well at left tackle, Iki might start out at left guard or maybe might not start right out of the gate. But we'll continue to follow that. Here was Matt Rule's update on the quarterbacks after today's first padded practice. Our evaluation will be, it'll be all in, in totality over a period of time. So any one day. So today, uh, Sam took the ones, Baker took the twos. There's, there's two parts of that. Sometimes you're playing with players that are a little more experienced when you're with the ones. You're also playing against um, players that are a little more experienced. So I think you take that all into account. But we're not, we're not looking at any one day for this. It's really, it's really over time. And each guy on this team has a different thing they're working on. Both quarterbacks have things that they're working on at different times. So take each day and look at it, try to give some improvement and see the improvement come. I think both guys are doing a job with good, good job with that. Yeah, they had red zone drills today. Both looked really good and 11 on 11. Baker had a touchdown pass to his former Cleveland teammate, Rashad Higgins. Uh, Darnold had a rushing touchdown. I think Baker had touchdowns on two of his first three drives. Darnold with his first two drives got into the end zone. However, I do expect the longer this week goes, the more we're going to hear about the defense. Don't be surprised by this. Don't think less of the quarterbacks if the defense start out ahead early on. Just think about it in the most practical of terms. This is less to do with personnel. The goal of a defense is to stop the offense, right? 
And a big part of what you do defense defensively is cover areas. Zone coverages, find different areas of the field that you cover. It's a lot easier to cover areas defensively than it is for offensive players, especially when working into a new offense, to have chemistry with a new quarterback like Baker Mayfield or with Matt Corral. So a lot about what you see offensively is a result of timing while defensively you're covering areas. So I wouldn't get too hung up if the defense stymies the offense a little bit. But they looked really good on Saturday, the defense did. They had their first televised practice. Again, that was without the pads from over the weekend. Watch Taylor Zarzor and Steve Smith and Kristen Balboni bring that to all of us. It just feels real. Today felt real. The real start of Panthers training camp with the pads coming on. Will Dalton, executive producer of this show, is taking your calls at 336-777-1600 on Twitter at WSJS Radio. You are listening to The Drive on WSJS News Talk Sports for the triad. WD, was your weekend as as exciting as what we're going to be watching tonight, getting back together for another episode of The Bachelorette? No shot. No shot. See, my my weekend was very laid back, Mm -hmm. relaxed. Mellow. Uh, tonight is going to be the fireworks. The opposite of all no, those of things course. you just said. My weekend, see, I was hanging out in Myrtle Beach, and I got a text last night from somebody I trust in the league, and he said, you're going to have some pretty big news tomorrow. I'm like, can you give me a tip what it might involve? Two words, Deshaun Watson. And surely enough, An independent league-appointed judge recommended a six-game suspension for Deshaun, which was predictably met with a ton of outrage all over the place. TV, radio, certainly the internet, that's what Twitter was made for. But if you've been listening to this show, you really should not be surprised by this. Once he wasn't charged criminally, way back in the spring, I made a prediction. And that prediction was, He's probably not going to get fewer than five games. He will not get more than 12. But whatever he gets handed, it's not going to be enough to meet the bloodthirsty, the bloodlusty fans who want him to be gone forever. Virtue signaling on the internet that this guy should be kicked out and shouldn't be allowed to play forever. Everybody would just one-up each other. I think he should be kicked. I think he should get eight games. I think he should get 12. I think he should get the season. I think he should be castrated in front of everybody all the way up. Okay, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration. This really shouldn't surprise you. If you read what the judge actually wrote here, she was simply following the league's personal conduct policy when it came to what they described to be sexual misconduct cases. And what they have for players that are not criminally charged is a six-game punishment. If you deem that the misconduct that you're reviewing to be credible, which the judge did. So it was going to be a six-game suspension, just like it was for Ben Roethlisberger way back when, just like it would have been for Jameis Winston if they didn't knock it down. It doesn't mean that these, that they're not set, that they don't value women. It doesn't mean that they don't think that these women are credible. It doesn't mean that Deshaun Watson is a good guy. But they spelled out this policy, this protocol. You can debate whether or not the protocol should be this way, but that's collective that's collectively bargained. 
And also, this is the first real misconduct case that's being handled after the new collective bargaining agreement was done a year ago. So we'll see what type of precedent this sets for how things are going to be handled, whether the league will accept punishment by an independent judge or if Roger Goodell over the next three days will decide or a league representative to appeal it in trying to get more games added to it. That's what's going to be interesting. The league said they haven't come to that decision yet, but they have three days to appeal if they should choose to do so. Another thing that should be remembered, the NFL is not a law enforcement agency. Sexual abuse cases are very difficult to rule on. I come from a family of law enforcement. I can tell you our legal system really struggles with this. So, of course, the NFL is going to. The NFL welcomes scrutiny when they try to play police, when they try to take on responsibility for punishing players for non-football instances rather than just letting the justice system handle things. Roger Goodell really started this with Pac-Man Jones 15 years ago. Deshaun wasn't charged, but because of the precedent that's been set over the last 15 years, they feel responsibility to hand out a punishment or else their business might suffer due to how things look, optics, all of this being driven by optics. If I had to guess what happens next, I expect the NFL is going to accept the six games just so they don't have to enter a fight with the union in the first case we've had since the new CBA. Also, there's a really good chance that the NFL let the recommendation be known what they would prefer to happen. Oh, we want it to be an indefinite suspension of at least a year before things were handed out, knowing that it wasn't going to be a year. That based on their policies and what they gave this judge, it was going to be six games. And to just protect themselves and to say, if we had it our way, we would have given them a year suspension. They let it be known they would have want something worse, knowing that that's not what's going to happen when it comes to one of their biggest stars in the sport playing one of the most important positions in all of sports. But we will see what will happen in the next few days. Also, if the NFL chooses to appeal, this might drag out. And if it drags out, the Carolina Panthers might start worrying because until the appeal is complete, Deshaun Watson's eligible to play, which means he could play in the opener against the Carolina Panthers, which I'm sure Matt Rule and company would not like to happen. Now that the calendar slipped to August... I'd say a decent amount is going on. We've got a decent amount to talk about. Wake Forest opened up its fall camp today. The Carolina Panthers put pads on for the first time in Spartanburg. It's Wyndham Championship Week at Sedgefield Country Club. And right down the road, the old racetrack is coming back. Weather permitting... They plan to be getting a practice in tonight, is my understanding. Read a great story today in the Winston-Salem Journal, which featured Ronald Queen and all the efforts he's put into bringing North Wilkesboro Speedway back. They expect to have some racing there, some actual real racing tomorrow night, and it's a very exciting deal. 
So I figured what better time to chat with our friend who happens to be one of the biggest racing aficionados we know, Ryan McGee of ESPN with us on the show. He also used to call Rockingham home. So bringing back these old racetracks, I know a topic that is very near and dear to your heart. How does it make you feel to see things fire back up at North Wilkesboro? I'm excited. Um, I'm a little, if I'm being 100% honest with you, I'm kind of guarded uh, just simply because, I mean, you mentioned, I mean, I was born in Rockingham. I'll be buried in Rockingham. Um, and, you know, when they first brought the truck series back, huge crowd first year. Second year, not a great crowd. Third year, no race. Um, you know, we, we've been here with Wilkesboro before. You know, people forget this, but there, we've had a whole late model weekend and the track got reopened and then all that stuff, you know, several years ago. And so that's, I'll say the same thing now that I, I literally just said this to the people in Nashville a few weeks ago when the Cup Series was there back on the National Super Speedway. And I'm like, a ticket is a vote. So go. You know, if everyone who's always told me they're going to go actually goes, then it's impossible for them not to continue to race in North Wilkesboro. It's impossible for NASCAR not to look at putting the truck series in there, the Xfinity series in there. There's, you know, you, the, the, buying a ticket is the best way to show um, that you actually are behind it. And don't ask somebody for a ticket. Don't ask somebody who works out there for a free ticket. Buy a ticket and go. And go to everything they have. And then if you do that, then, um, then it is going to be almost impossible for the motorsports industry to pack up and move on again. What are the fondest memories you had at North Wilkesboro Speedway? You know, it's funny because when I really started covering NASCAR, um, my first couple of seasons covering the Cup Series were Wilkesboro's last couple of years. Um, my, my fondest memory was the great Tom Higgins, um, who's in the NASCAR Hall of Fame and is, is, is the gold standard and will always be the gold standard for, for NASCAR beat writers, the original NASCAR beat writer, wrote there in Winston-Salem, wrote, wrote in Charlotte. Um, and one day, when I was a young TV producer, uh, junior, or, uh, Tom Higgins and I went up to Junior Johnson's house. And the folks out there know, when I say Junior Johnson's house, it's like a cruise ship parked, you know, in the mountains up there. And we went to Junior Johnson's house and interviewed Junior, and then Junior put us in the truck. And we went to town and had lunch, and we went over and saw where Junior's place was making the country ham, and then we went to the racetrack. And at that point, it had been closed probably, what, five or six years, and just walking around with Junior Johnson and Tom Higgins, and, man, I didn't say a word. Like I just listened, and uh, that was that. Was, my fondest memory of Wilkesboro, of the racetrack, is just when it was empty and going up there and just like little little Junior Johnson's opening the gate and driving in there, and and he drove us around the racetrack in his pickup truck, and me in the back seat of a pickup while Junior Johnson is driving around North Wilkesboro, um, you know, given the history of the place, it was uh, it's hard to top that. Connecting to that history. The aforementioned Ronald Queen, once upon a time, was a pit crew member for Junior Johnson back yep. in the day. Ryan McGee joining us from ESPN, shifting things to college football. This month, we're going to have college football games being played, including North Carolina's Week Zero opener against Florida A&M. We heard from Jim Phillips a couple of weeks ago. Talking season is about over, but I know a lot of people out there on uh, Waybridge Wayne in Greensboro are listening to this right now. What would be the best advice you'd have for Phillips as he moves forward? Um, I hope 
that what's happening is that you know he and the and George Klavikoff, the commissioner of the Pac-12, have both kind of taken this, you know, publicly at the podium. This kind of Pollyanna, let's all celebrate what's great about you know uh, collegiate athletics and wear you know letter sweaters and you know sing in the key club and all that stuff. That's kind of I, I really appreciate that passion, but I believe, at least I hope, what's happening is is that that's what's happening publicly at the podium. And then I hope that there's a little bit of ruthlessness happening behind the scenes because there has to be, if there's not, you're not going to survive. Um, you're just not. And I'm, I don't, I don't believe there's these people that are writing things about the ACC doomed and all. I don't believe any of that. Um, but the conference does have to make sure that it still resembles itself in the not too distant future. Because the reality is, is that, you know, it's on now. I mean, I was at SEC Media Days. Um, you know, we, we obviously had coworkers at all the Media Days, but, you know, Big Ten and SEC right now are playing chess, and everyone else is playing checkers. And that's a cliche, but it's also how it is. So I, I just – my hope, and I don't know Phillips very well. I've met him twice, I think. Um, the last time I saw him was at the, the first round of the NCAA tournament down in Greenville, South Carolina. When we, we we're all hoping we're not going to see Coach K's last game. And – my hope is what's happening is it's very John Swafford-like, right? You know, Swafford is at the podium, and he's the Southern assassin, and he's smiling and all that. And, and then what we don't know is, is there's some big moves going on behind the scenes. So that's that's what the hope has to be. I mean, if you because this idea of we're just going to be nice and we're going to be the good guys and take the high road and all that stuff, that's how you lose. And, and I hate that, but that's exactly what it is right now. Ryan McGee with us here. He's on Twitter at ESPN McGee. Since getting married a little over a month ago, I've read a handful of books on my honeymoon in Myrtle Beach this past weekend, Wright Thompson's Pappy Land and uh, Bob Ryan's newest baseball book, which he was signing copies of at the NSMA uh, in Winston-Salem last month as well, or I guess in June, picked up Kirk Herbstreet's um, book from this past, uh, uh, read that a little bit of that from over the weekend in Myrtle Beach. And I know you're working on a new baseball book. How's that going? Well, um, I feel like I should have been calling you and asking you to send me some audio files. But, yeah, we're doing a book about the uh, about the summer I worked for the Asheville Tourists. I mean, largely based on all these stories I kept telling you over the years. We can and, get it. Uh, we can get you that audio if you want it. Yeah, well, it's too late now. It's I'm too far down the road. But I – but I, um, I literally, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I, th- I think, all right, what stories did I tell Grant? And I kept going back through my head, and um, and they're all in there. Um, and then there's a lot that I didn't remember. I started calling the guys I worked with that summer, called a couple of baseball players, and some of the stories were great. I'll say this: uh, what I have told everyone who worked with me that summer is th- these are the stories how I remember them. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that's exactly how I went down, but that's how my at the time 23 year old brain filed it away and uh but yeah it's uh we should have a title and a cover and all that stuff to announce pretty soon but i think spring of next year so it's uh yeah i'm I'm, I'm excited about it and and i'm glad to hear you're reading i'm also glad to hear you're still married that's great that's good news (laughs) it is good news i thought about you this uh weekend when i was driving down 501 going into Myrtle Beach, listening to a Tanya Tucker song. Every time I hear Tanya Tucker come on now, I think about her in, what was it, yellow blue jeans? Oh, man, the yellow blue jeans. I'm telling you right now, there are a lot of people listening to us right now in Winston-Salem. Uh, dudes my age 
who all remember that day because uh, <laughs> that day was it, that, that's one of those infamous. Days. I think I, I think I might have told the story already. I remember when my grandmother passed away. Um, we were sitting down with the pastor, with the preacher down in, in Robertdale, North Carolina, right outside of Rockingham. And we're sitting there talking to the preacher, and we're just kind of making small talk while we, before we start going over some some stuff for the for the ceremony and service, and him wanting to get to know you know my mama a little bit better through us. And you, so your dad was a college referee, like yes sir. And uh, he goes, gosh, he goes, man, I used to go to the the Baptist the Art Royal Ambassadors Day every year with my kids up to Wake Forest. And I go, well, you weren't, were you there that day? Uh, that Stanley Tucker was there, and this preacher looked at me. He goes, "Oh yeah, and those yellow blue jeans." I mean, everybody remembers. Every everybody remembers. It was a, it was it was. Uh, they're probably old Grove Stadium, I guess we called it back then, uh, or Bowman Gray in the. Uh, um, but yeah, it was. Uh, there were about probably about there probably about twelve thousand. Uh, Baptist Boy Scouts, Royal Ambassadors in the, in the grandstands that day, and we all became men. <laughs> Closing things out. Give me a newly discovered minor league baseball story that you found in your studies, in your explorations of your mind, the deep recesses of your mind. I always like that expression. Ryan McGee digging up stories for his baseball book. You know, I um, I was calling the guys I used to work with and everything, and one of them said to me, he said, you remember that time you flew? I'm like, what? He goes, that time you flew up in the air. And then I remembered it. And, yeah, we were pulling the tarp one night. And, and McCormick Field up in Asheville is kind of carved into the side of a mountain. And when the wind really gets rolling through there, it comes up this hill through this valley and cuts right into the ballpark. And one day we were pulling the tarp, and the wind came through the grandstand and caught that tarp at the right time. Now, I was about 60 pounds lighter then than I am now. And – there weren't enough of us. There were only about six of us trying to pull this tarp in this thunderstorm. And the wind caught that thing. And it, it like, I, you hold on to, so you hold on to, like, this canvas loop, um, like the handle that you pull to pull the tarp. And the wind got up underneath that thing, and I was holding on to that handle. And it pulled me, it probably pulled me 10, 12 feet up in the air. And, um, and I went, I mean, flying in the air. And so... <laughs> It, it, in my mind, I was up there for like ten minutes. It was like it was like the soaring ride at Disney World. But the reality is, I was only probably up there for about a second, maybe tops. But I, I remember I, as I started to descend, I let go, and when I let go, in my mind again, I landed like you know Captain America, right? I landed on my feet and did the superhero hand plan off. So the reality is, is that I look like I've been thrown out of a van. You know, I rolled across the grass and all that stuff, and I remember I crashed right into the dugout. And the Hickory Crawdads were there. Fred Kendall, his son Jason Kendall, played baseball forever. Oh. Fred Kendall was the manager. And I, I, I kind of crawled into the dugout and sat there. And Fred Kendall looked at me. He goes, you okay? I said, no. I said, that was freaky. And then he started to tell me about when he played in the big leagues, how he watched a guy, I think it was a Pittsburgh, get thrown up in the air. And I was like, okay. So there you go. So if anybody ever says, like when you have those dreams about what it's like, the sensation to fly, I know exactly what that feels like. Ryan McGee. <laughs> From ESPN, Will Will Dalton, did you ever go flying in your days playing baseball? No, but I witnessed it, so I don't even have to imagine what he's talking about. I've seen it. Okay, <laughs> I think he you come understand. off the ground, and you're like, oh, okay. Oh yeah, he there. came off the ground. Yeah. I mean, it was like a tidal wave. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it was, and you and you're completely helpless. Okay. Yeah, I flew in an F-16 once with the Thunderbirds, and it felt a lot like the time I flew up in the tar with a tarp. Oh yeah, and I remember one time you did a ESPN game cast with Marty Smith and a blimp, the Goodyear blimp. 
Yeah, it was very different. Yeah, that's like slow, that's like slow motion. This this was not like that. Last thing, real quick, is it an exaggeration to say that this radio show helped inspire the book? No, not at all. There's no exaggeration whatsoever. It's not an exaggeration <laughs> to say that, that, uh, that you guys inspired me to write a book. Uh, I love that. That's fantastic, Ryan McGee. Let's hope the racing goes well, weather permitting, in North Wilkesboro, and uh, we'll have to visit sometime before the season starts. Thanks for doing this. All right, boys. Appreciate it. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. You know, I think everything we did was first class from the top on down in terms of uh, everything that we've done. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm focused kind of on, on the guys that are here right now. How was Matt Rule's response to the Deshaun Watson ruling today? And I guess that's kind of what you have to say. We did everything right. What do you accept, expect Matt to say? I get why you have to ask the question, but was Matt going to say, who boy, yeah, we really messed up. Glad we dodged that bullet. Whoo-wee. That guy's a creep. The one that we went after for a year and a half. That would have been great. No, he wasn't going to say that, but... There's a difference in what you say publicly and what you tell people behind the scenes. In hindsight, do you think it worked out for Carolina? Because I do. If you were to ask me, Josh, what is the preferred situation for Carolina this year? Deshaun Watson and paying out what the Browns paid out to get him and giving up what the Browns gave up in order to secure him? Or bringing in Baker Mayfield and only it being $5 million and no commitment beyond this year and being able to keep Darnold as well and have that competition. Really, the question is, would you prefer to have a quarterback room with Deshaun and P.J. Walker or a quarterback room that Carolina has right now? And I would prefer the former. Not to say that it's better long-term for Carolina, this quarterback room, But if I'm Matt Rule or if I'm David Tepper, the most important question I need to have answered this year is Matt Rule the guy to be leading this team into the future. And if Deshaun Watson is suspended for six games and that costs you a chance to make the playoffs, but let's say you finish pretty well towards the end of the year, you're left in a, you're in a confusing position. Do, Do we keep, do we run it back again with Rule? This year, you there are no excuses. Like, the way it's currently comprised with Baker and Darnold and Corral, no more excuses. Either Carolina is close to being a winning football team this year and winning eight or nine games and making the playoffs or getting close to it, or Matt Rule's going to lose his job. There are no more excuses. If you can't make it work with Cam, Teddy, Darnold, Baker, Corral, Maybe it's not those quarterbacks. Maybe it's you. So I'm in favor of whatever camp answers the most important question that is, is Matt Rule the right guy to be leading this team beyond 2022? I didn't feel that question was answered last year. That question needs to be answered this year, and the team is in position to answer that question this year. Baker Mayfield, for some reason 
was asked about the Deshaun Watson news. I guess it's something you just feel like you have to do, right? And this is how Baker responded. That honestly is none of my business. Um, I don't play against the other quarterback. I know it's the most cliche thing to say, but that's just the truth. Uh, when it comes down to it, I'm game planning against their defense. Um, and if I'm playing or not, I'm trying to help this team win. And that's my mindset going into it. So I got to keep getting better. But I'm not focused about week one right now. Um, you know, working, working on each day, each install and continuing to get better. Uh, and we'll handle that when it comes. But for now, it's, it's about getting the Panthers better and our offense continuing to get better as well. Good answer. Why would you ask Baker Mayfield about that? It wasn't his choice to leave Cleveland. It was Baker Mayfield's choice. He'd still be there. You're going to have to ask them about that. I don't know, Deshaun. Why are you asking me about that? I don't have an opinion. Oh, we're playing the Browns week one. I hope I'm the quarterback, but I need to do some stuff between now and then to make sure I'm that quarterback, which he said a little bit there. That's an example of Baker, you know, just taking the layup. That's it. Hit hit the check down verbally rather than take the deep shot and go for the million-dollar soundbite. So those are some of the Panthers' reactions to Deshaun Watson. The John Curry interview, going to be up shortly. Make sure you listen, you're subscribed to the podcast if you aren't already. The John Curry conversation, really good stuff. Catching up with the AD at Wake. Search The Drive with Josh Graham on iTunes, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Anchor. Leave a review, too, because, believe it or not, people read those. That's cool. You ever wonder about that? Like My brother, he's big into watching like Twitch and YouTube streamers and things, and I look on the side and I see all those comments from people. Oh, yeah. I like, love who, reading who comments. Write, who, and not even just comments, but I mean the people that are like in these chat, these chats. Who reads that? It's like when you pull up a Periscope or <laughs> something, like the live video that the Panthers put up. Yeah. And a bunch of people were commenting in that. Who's that for? Like, no one's really engaging with one another. You're just providing thoughts, and it's always negative and anonymous. Yeah, and especially terrible. in the Panthers' live streams here lately. Like, Speaking yeah. of sometimes negative and awful, Myrtle Beach. Actually, Myrtle Beach gets a bit of a bad rep. I yes. love Myrtle Beach. I go down there. I went down there this weekend. And for the second time since I've been married, Almost lost my ring. Again. Again. So. Again. You might remember, I lost my beach in the, or lost my ring in the ocean in Turks and Caicos. Miraculously. That is not used loosely. Miraculously, Sarah Bradford found it. Again, in the ocean. Buried underneath sand. That was miraculous. This past weekend, not is miraculous. My brother, I was reading a book. Humble brag. Sitting underneath a pier, hashtag pier life, all about it. That's where I go when I go to the beach. I sit under the pier. It's what I do. My brother berating me. Hey, man, let's throw the baseball. My brother's in a decade longer, maybe not even ever, has asked me to throw a baseball with him. Fine, I'll throw a baseball. Maybe he just feels like since we're, I've been married now, it's like, I want to go back to the time when we were kids. I'm like, Joy, we didn't. Throw let's baseball. Have a catch. Yeah, let's have a catch. Have we, a catch. So it's also, by the way, it's pouring when he wants me to go out and throw baseball with him. So sure, we're in the rain. It's pouring. We're throwing baseball with one another. That's all good and what. Then we get back to our setup underneath the pier. And my brother 
This is where he's not being a good teammate. He says loudly for all to hear, Hey, Josh, do you got your wedding ring on? It sounds like he knew the answer to that question before he asked it because yeah. I looked at my ring and it wasn't there. Oh, no. And then Sarah Bradford loudly exclaims, Again? That's what I said when you Again? first told me. Again? Again? Yeah, your brother definitely knew. Not great. He was stirring the pot so a little bit. So immediately, so I'm very good at this. When I'm panicking on the inside, it doesn't show on the outside, externally. So I'm staying cool while thinking, oh, no. Mm -hmm. How hard is Good thing I haven't traveled very far. Where can I get one of those things that metal detect? We're going to find one of that, good one of those thinking. things. But then I immediately think, well, I was just throwing the baseball. Oh, you just look inside the glove. And I look in the glove, and surely enough, my ring's in the glove. Less than two minutes after it was brought up. But ever since then, this is the part where my brother, again, being a bad teammate, he could have just brought it. Hey, Josh, by the way, you don't have your ring on right now. You you, you should maybe look at the glove or something like that first. <laughs> no, before no. bringing it up publicly or bringing it up for everybody to hear. No. At, for like a, a half dozen more times the rest of the week at Sarah Bradford. Hey, do you got your ring on? 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 Yeah. I got my ring on. Do you have karaoke sound of me? I do. You know what? Let's save that. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could get to that later. Actually, I'm going to use that as a tease. Hear me sing karaoke at a Mexican restaurant. Plus Graham's grades next. Places, everyone. Come on, places, please. We're ready. Get your morning off to a great start with Jeffrey Griffin on Triad Today. Weekday mornings at 7. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Before we get to Graham's grades, as Major League Baseball trades are swung ahead of the trade deadline including my Orioles trading Trey Mancini to the Houston Astros. Not happy about that. Here's the karaoke sound that WD has pulled. This comes courtesy of some Mexican restaurant in Myrtle Beach. My brother was adamant we needed to sing a song together. You tell me what a good duet for a couple of dudes is if you're going to sing karaoke. We came up with Lincoln Park. Not so great. Mm. Don't feel good about that. You, you, that wasn't your best performance? Well, I mean, I don't know if there is a good performance. I don't know. That's the point with karaoke. It's not supposed to be that good. See, I would have got in on that action. Some Linkin Park? I love Linkin Park. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But I'm asking you the question. Like, if you are just it's just a couple of dudes, want to go up there, want to sing some karaoke, want to do it together, well, what kind of song are we picking? Because... Usually when you think duet, it's let's do picture by Sheryl Crow and Kid Rock, or let's do Islands in the Stream 
little bit of Kenny Rogers action in here. But if you're getting two dudes together, it's a bit more difficult. I don't know what the go-to karaoke song of choice is for a couple of dudes, especially when it's at a Mexican restaurant and yeah. half the people there do not speak English. Yeah, that, that little detail makes it tricky. They, they seemed into it. Oh, I'm sure they were. That was hilarious. Sounded hilarious. I, I'd imagine it might have. <laughs> so. Not a bad choice, though. Linkin Park, good duet song, I think. Let's get to Graham's grades for this week. Every week is a test for your favorite sports teams. Who passed the test? If one of y'all says some silly ass name. Who dropped the ball? I don't know. Josh Graham has the answers. I think you're very condescending and a know-it-all. Time for Graham's grades. Okay, A through F. Some of the bigger things that are happening now that the calendar flips to August. A. The life of Bill Russell. That's an A. Rather than focusing on the negative that he passed away at 88, start thinking about the fact that wouldn't we all be so lucky to live to 88 and to have the impact of a guy like Bill Russell. This stat, I want to make sure I get it right, blows me away on the Bill Russell front. It comes from our friend Bob Ryan. In his 14 years, in his final 14 years as a basketball player, Bill Russell's team participated in 21 winner-take-all contests in his final 14 years as a basketball player. Nine NCAA tournament games, one Olympic gold medal, 10 game sevens, one get deciding game five. Bill Russell's team won all 21. 21 winner-take-all games, 21-0. The last 14 years of Bill Russell's basketball playing career. He's the greatest winner of all time, and we'll spend more time talking about him a little bit later on in the hour. B. This week in Triad Sports, I'm going to limit it to just this week. North Wilkesboro having the revival over there. Tomorrow night, there's going to be racing there for the first time in forever, it feels like. Wyndham Championship is Thursday. I just saw the last two spots were filled, were qualified for just today. The Wake Forest football team opened up fall camp today. John Curry was a guest on today's show. That interview can be found on our podcast channel. A lot going on this week. And try it sport. It's it's close to an A, but I have it as a B. C. The Carolina Panthers first televised practice. It's a C because we're talking about practice. It's a C because they weren't even wearing pads. And for the first 30 minutes, they weren't even running plays. They were just stretching. It wasn't the best TV product. And then when they did start running plays. The camera work was less than ideal. However, it just felt good to be watching football on TV. And it was Steve Smith with Taylor Zarzor, former host on WSJS way back when. 
The Panthers' first televised practice, a C. D. Deshaun Watson's punishment. Am I surprised he only got six games? No. Does he deserve more than six games? Absolutely. Is it an F? No. Not criminally charged, and it's a difficult issue. I'm going to be a little bit sympathetic for the NFL and how they handle this when you're not talking about criminal charges here. But when you actually read what Judge Robinson wrote, it is pretty damning saying, well, yeah, it's not just behavior of somebody who is creepy. It is predatory what he's doing. And he doesn't, one of the more frustrating things is the lack of remorse he shows. In the last 20 minutes, Kevin Stefanski, the Browns coach, was asked about Deshaun. The Haslam family just put out a statement from the Browns saying that they know he's remorseful, even though Deshaun's camp has been very public in saying they haven't done anything wrong, so it doesn't really seem like at all that they're remorseful. All of it is uncomfortable. It is. So it does feel like he deserves more than six games on its face, and the NFL puts itself in the position to get dunked on with its policies when you look at what some suspensions get somebody, a la the wide receiver from the Falcons, Calvin Ridley, being suspended for a year, no questions asked, because he did like a three-team parlay not related to football, or actually one of them. I think it might have been a DraftKings deal. wasn't even like he was like betting on a specific game, and he wasn't even playing. He wasn't with the team. That gets you a year to Sean Watson. Like, if you're doing the comparison game, you put yourself in position to get dunked on. But that's what the NFL invites when they're trying to play law enforcement and figure out what certain punishments should be worth when really this is all about optics. F. The luck of one Cameron Young. I don't know if you followed this yesterday at the Rocket Mortgage, but he finished second again. My man, he was... I think at 21 under for the tournament, he had a round of which he shot 63 and still not getting his first PGA Tour win. He's come close. Came close in the majors too. Get this. This is his rookie season on the tour. And including the majors, Cam Young has seven top five finishes. Seven. Five of those seven are runner-up finishes. No wins. Tough. Now, he's netting pretty big purses because he's finishing really well in these tournaments. I'm sure he's fine with that. But one of these times, you'd like to win. Somebody who understands that very well is Tony Finau, who's benefited in recent weeks for being patient and continually being the top 10 finishing guy. The guy who always finishes top 10, even though he doesn't win the tournament. It is an interesting question, though. I asked it after the Open Championship. If you had the bet, who is the next Wake Forest golfer to win a major championship? Is it Zalatoris? Is it Young? Is it Webb Simpson? Probably not Webb, but Zalatoris or Young? Overwhelmingly, people said Zalatoris, but... Man, there really isn't anybody who's been as consistent or as fun in recent weeks than 
Cam Young the way that he's playing golf. Another nugget, John Rothstein. See, I love being in the triad where college basketball matters 12 months out of the year. So that way I can vent about dumb things that people put out in the middle of the summer. John Rothstein should know better. He's supposed to be the bas- college basketball guru. I host the only podcast that every week during the year outside of a college basketball season even updates talking about college hoops. He released his ACC summer poll. Ranked the teams 1 through 15. At the top, shouldn't surprise anybody, Carolina 1, Duke number 2. Wake Forest, where are they? After barely missing the tournament, where are they at? 13th. 13th? 13th? Okay, okay, but let me read into it. Okay, it, maybe maybe there are some details in here. Maybe there's some teams that are better than you think. I follow it pretty closely. When I saw 13th, I'm like, he's wrong. He's wrong. Let me just see why he's wrong. He has NC State over Wake Forest. What? What? They got Taquavion Smith back. Okay. Who else? Who else should you be excited about with Kevin Keats' team next year? Pitt? Pittsburgh. Really? Pittsburgh. Jeff Capel is Danny Manning 2.0 and that he is a dead man walking about to be fired over there. Clemson? P.J. Hall, their best player, he's hurt right now. I don't know if he's going to be ready for the start of the year. If he's not, there's no way Clemson's better than way. 13th? I'd be willing to even listen to Boston College, who he has above him. I wouldn't put Boston College over Wake, but I'd listen to that. 13th for Wake Forest. Sheesh, John Rothstein. 